0: hello and welcome to the ink to film podcast where we read the book and then see the movie i'm luke and i'm james and this week is part four of our discussion of stephen king's 1986 shelf-bending horror novel it now let's get to the smoke hole So part four, July of 1958, uh, we get Bill at the library with Mike Hanlon as an adult. They see a young boy check out one of Bill's books, and they have a a memory of um, something called the apocalyptic rock fight at the quarry. Um, And then he kind of starts thinking back, and we transport through time again back to 1958, and we, we, we start with actually a discussion of Henry Bowers. And we hear about how Henry Bowers hates Mike Hanlon more than anybody else in the Losers Club. And it's this kind of leftover, carryover, I should say, racism from his father that he's kind of inherited, Butch Bowers. Because Butch blames the Hanlon family for all of the Bowers family's woes, uh, Henry also kind of internalizes that and starts to view Mike the same way and so Henry uh we we hear that Henry has Henry befriends Mike's dog um, feeding him treats and then eventually laces hamburger meat with poison murdering Mike's dog and then he comes back and tells his father what he did and his father's so proud of him
1: he gives him a sip of his beer this is the first time that we get Henry less of a bully and more of just like a sadistic person. Yeah. He, the way that King describes what he does to this dog is probably the most gruesome death in my opinion so far. He like, yeah, up to feeds point. Him, <laughs> he, he feeds him treats and he's telling him he's such a good boy and the dog's all happy. And then he ties it to a tree and then just basically watches it die as the poison overtakes its body. Yeah. I know both,
0: both of us are big dog lovers, so. I don't know about you, but man, whenever
1: the animal stuff comes up, it always really deeply affects me. And this was brutal. That's that's what I'm saying. I think it's I think it's the death that hit me the hardest. Yeah, and I feel like that's definitely saying something. And then something interesting that happened when Butch gives gives Henry the beer. He talks about how he will continue to associate beer with like happiness and and uh, being accepted by his father and all these things for the rest of his life. So then you can you can see the stepping stones that lead to him. Potentially, you know, abusing substances in the future, and just kind of the the path that he's his dad has kind of started him down.
0: Yeah, well, this really that really goes back to the thing we were talking about in the last episode. I think King is making a point about how impressionable children are, and how the things that that go on when you're a kid can kind of define you for the rest of your life. And this is another example of somehow sometimes those things can be really terrible and can can have really lasting, damaging effects on who you are. So next we get uh, Bill and the Lu- Losers Club down on the bank of the Kanduskeeg, and they they kind of come to the realization that it lives nearby, and they think in the sewers in particular. And Bill remembers talking with his father about the blueprints that show um, what's going on underneath the sewers, essentially. But it's like there's there's been so many different Adjustments to it that no one really knows where everything goes down there, and it's this big maze.
1: I thought this was like particularly creepy because the idea of a sewer on its own is like pretty, pretty, it's kind of a creepy place and like a nasty, disgusting place. But the idea that like so many different people have built so many different waterways and it's become a maze that nobody can get through leads everyone to believe, obviously, that this is like its lair. Somehow he's influenced people to he's either I think they at one point they talk about how like bl- certain blueprints have gone missing and stuff, and they can't really find certain areas within it. So people who have to go in and do any sort of maintenance sometimes will go missing, and that's all. I think that's all by its design. Yeah, it's really
0: created this like perfect layer for it under the under the city where no one can really find it, and people get lost and disappear. Um, we 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 learned that Bill thinks that if he could just say the phrase, he <laughs> he thrusts his fists against the post and still insists he sees the ghosts, to his mother that it would fix all their problems. We get confirmation that it looked like a werewolf for Richie, but maybe not for everybody else. And then we get our first discussion of what it might actually be. And there's a bunch of different creatures listed, um, like a Manitou, a Talus we hear about the ritual of should chud whichever it is um and it's a really i don't i I definitely want your reaction to this ritual um apparently you go to this thing this like glamour um shapeshifter so you stick out your tongue it sticks out its tongue and you bite into each bite into each other's tongues and like lock into each other and then you start telling jokes and riddles and then if the human laughs first the talus kills him but if the man can make the talus laugh, then it goes away for a hundred years.
1: So this is interesting because our feedback from last week was about the, the turtle, who, who we've kind of realized with this section here, we got information that we didn't have last section. So to answer that, that feedback that we got even more, uh, this turtle or spirit or whatever it is, it's called shud, And I guess it's part of a Himalayan ritual, like some ancient Himalayan ritual. Where like you say they they bite down on each other's tongues and tell jokes and I just I can already feel the end game of this story with this ritual and and like we're finding out that that it is probably some sort of glamour. Do you think that
0: we're headed towards this happening? Like, that this is going to literally take place?
1: Yeah, I think so. Something similar, maybe not exactly this, but I think <laughs> that that the tongue maybe it's like a battle of tongues or something like that, and they have to they have to to best it or Pennywise at its at his own kind of sadistic game or something like that the thing that I that I really like is that now we've kind of gotten confirmation of what this with another thing that happens in this chapter and this we're kind of starting to see the form of what it is this entity it's like becoming like something it's seeming like it's it's defeatable or it's it's an actual it's not just like an idea anymore it's
0: Something with substance.
1: Yeah, he's a glamour, so that means that he's giving everybody visions or giving everybody like personalized fears.
0: Okay, so next up, uh, we get the fi- we get five bullies. Now it's kind of this like cosmic coincidence that they're all going to set off fireworks at the same time. that The Losers Club is going to the same place to set off fireworks, the quarry. But on the road, they encounter Mike Hanlon, and basically chase after him after Henry Bowers decides. He wants to, like, put... I think he says put firecrackers in his boots and basically torture him. And uh, we get some stuff where Vic, where Victor is looking at Henry and realizing that Henry is, like, out of control and a little bit insane and possibly going to kill Mike. Um, and then we get this... Uh, kind of this chase is going on at the same time while the Losers Club is heading to the quarry. Um, at one point, they... One of them makes a joke about piranhas being in the barrens in the Kanduskig, and then they actually see these, like, giant goldfish, orange goldfish-looking things with giant teeth that uh, they realize are, like, a manifestation of it. Eventually, they arrive at the quarry, Mike running from the bullies, they start throwing cherry bombs at him, and then that's when Henry Bowers reveals to Mike that he killed his dog, which kind of ends up giving Mike some, some courage to kind of fight back, and he, he yells at Henry, yells at Henry, throws coal at him, kicks him in the face when he's trying to get away, and then uh, climbs the fence and escapes. And then um, the, user, uh, the Losers Club here of the M80 go off, which gets all of their attention, and the two groups come together, and uh, the Losers Club kind of all gather around and form a line in front of Mike to protect him.
1: This is the beginning of Mike joining the Losers Club. So as soon as he shows up, the Losers Club is complete. All seven of them are there. And something actually I wanted to mention from last section is they talked about how they all stood in a circle in the water and cut their hands with some piece of glass or something like that. So I think that also has something to do with that ritual that where they need seven people and maybe they have to taunt it or whatever they're going to have to do. Something interesting is Bill has this sort of like premonition that something bad is going to happen so they all start picking up rocks and loading their pockets with rocks because they know like there's a threat incoming and then they all they all kind of face off against Henry
0: there's a lot of talk in this section about this feeling of fate and feeling of that the group is meant to be together and especially once Mike arrives they even say like now it's begun but before before all that they have this apocalyptic rock fight with the with the bullies which is like <laughs> written like it's a freaking battle out of world war Two, like it's really you get like it's really high action there's just rocks flying everywhere there's blood people getting smashed in the face um ben ben tackling henry at one point finally the losers club is victorious especially after bill kind of scares off henry and, and victor and um yeah they leave and that's when they really realize that now with mike
1: the 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 club is complete the circle is complete i liked when like you're saying this battle was going down this epic end of the world battle was going on with these rocks being thrown by these kids bill kind of really showed himself as the leader he's done it so many times throughout the book but he's he stepped up and was like taking all these hits he and he didn't even matter to him it was just like getting hit in the shoulder and the hip and all and all these places and then he's still like bearing down on these three like bigger kids and just like nailing them with with rocks and he kind of motivates all the rest of the kids and they all get behind him
0: yeah all right so next up we're back in the back in the library of the adults and we get mike talking to everybody and uh, we hear mention of the smoke hole but things are kind of a bunch of things are discussed really opaquely without going into detail and we kind of suspect that we're going to learn more about each thing um, and then Mike goes to get a beer from the refrigerator, and balloons drift out, and he sees the severed, severed head of 11-year-old Stanley Uris, and his mouth is stuffed with bird feathers, which he recognizes the feathers from the bird that he saw. Uh, the head opens its eyes, and it says something like, just thought I'd join you, Mike. It basically tells him that they can't hope to win without Stan being there, that without a seventh, that they're, they're doomed. And then the head rolls out, uh, says, beep, beep, Mikey, and then pops like a balloon and disappears. And then Mike remembers going down to the Barrens and joining up with the kids um, with the Losers Club as if he was part of the crew all along.
1: Stan is the only one who isn't there. And the thing that would affect all of the he Mike tells everyone to run into his office where he was getting the beer. And everyone sees Stan's head, his childhood head. And uh, I think that just by it being young Stan, it's going to affect the group a lot more and make them really think about the fact that they are down to six and they're going to have to do it without a seventh, which makes me wonder, is there going to be a seventh, a last minute sub in or something like that who's able to help them take down this, this guy? Because it seems like it's part of a ritual. They might be able to do it without him, but last time they didn't. Any thoughts about who that could be? I'm not sure that anybody's really been seen as important enough. Maybe just as a curveball, maybe like Henry steps up and like does something like a little redemptive move. Hmm. Um, Maybe I think that's really the only person I don't think it'd be like Audra or Tom or anybody like that. So yeah, if I had to guess if there was going to be a seventh, I think Henry might turn on Pennywise. All
0: right. So uh, next we get, Mike joining them down by the Kanduskig and he learns that they're going to dig a hole to be their new clubhouse with Ben kind of supervising the excavation of all this soil and he tells them that he's seen the clown before they talk they all kind of share their stories with him and he remembers seeing it handing out balloons during the parade on July 4th where he was marching in the marching band and then he tells them about the giant bird We got Richie and Bill heading to the library, um, and the others begin digging the clubhouse. They talk about Mike's story, saying that it's his own personal monster, and now that he shared it with them, they all share that form, and that they could all see the bird now. And then they go to the
1: library to research how to make a silver bullet. They're all going to the library to make this silver bullet. Um, because they've seen it in the movies, they've seen that like a silver bullet is usually good against almost every kind of monster. It can take down almost anything, and I think just the idea that like the, it's so absurd that it just might work. In my opinion, like I think that like the silver making like a silver bullet and shooting it with it or or launching it at it might be enough to like anger him. Like I don't think it's necessarily going to kill him, but I think it's the the way that you get at him is by doing something either ridiculous or or kind of messing with him so i think maybe the silver bullet because it's from movies and stuff maybe it has something to do with that's the power that they're getting there is that they're just confident that this they've seen it work in movies so maybe it'll work in real life so this reminds me of
0: some of the feedback we got this week we got um a tweet um, to our ink to, at ink to film account from erica and she she pointed out that silver is a recurring thing in this book. And that um, not only is it the silver dollars and the silver bullets, but also Bill's bike is called silver. And we noticed that Pennywise is often wearing silver. And I just, I don't know, she
1: kind of asked me about it and I, I'll i ask you, what do you think that is? Like, why, why is King doing that? I think maybe it has like something to do with what I was saying about how they... The kids see it as important. They see this as like a powerful thing. So I think that that leads to it being powerful in their minds. And also because it's powerful to them, Pennywise will see it as a threat. So I don't know why Pennywise... I don't know how the connection leads into Pennywise wearing silver as well. But I think that the idea that their bi- the bike is called silver and they've seen silver bullets work against monsters in movies. I think that this is just like them lending their like almost imagination or like their power to something and giving it power in their minds yeah. is going to be effective against Pennywise in the future. Which that's like a direct thing that's talked about in a later part. Okay,
0: we'll keep moving on here. Um, So th- they come back and they find that the, this is sometime later, the, the hole is nearly finished the clubhouse is nearly, nearly done. And it's, we've learned that they've basically built this bunker. And of course it's put together really well because Ben oversaw it. And it has a trap door that closes down. Um, it has sod over top of it so that when they're down underneath, like, no one even knows they're down there. And we get Richie making a bunch of racist jokes, um, a.k.a. Jeff Dunham. Then they all kind of laugh it off. We hear about the dead body of a nine-year-old who none of them see. Then they, uh, Mike has brought a, his father's photo album. Um, so they all open it up and look at it. And they see pictures from, like, going back to, like, the seven, like late, teens, late 1700s and, like, drawings. And they start noticing that there's a clown in almost every picture. And then it ends—that little part ends with um, Pennywise coming to the forefront of one of the pictures and pressing his face against the plastic covering and basically taunting them. Um, and then they slam it shut. And Bill understands that it wants them to be afraid— and so he tries to tell them all that they have to move on and that they can't like think about it too much and get afraid because that's what he wants.
1: Yeah, specifically the person who's getting extremely upset by this is Stan. And uh, in an earlier episode, I mentioned how Eddie was going to be the one who was going to be the liability within the group because of the inhaler, and he just seemed like he was uh, he didn't cope well with like how his how his mom treated him, and like that that played out into his everyday life. Um, but it seemed from this section, I'm realizing that Stan is he's the weakest link because he's not there in the future, which yeah, shows so that clearly. he couldn't handle it. And so obviously as a kid, they talk about in this book a lot how um, kids are more malleable. They're able to deal with situations easier and they can just kind of like accept it and have it be a part of their life. Like a monster being real is something that a child can 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 kind of perceive but like if that happened to an adult they would be they would go insane so i think that stan as a kid it's just showing that stan as a kid was just malleable enough to deal with all the situations that were going on even though he was like he had his friends there to help him through it and then as an adult he like they talked about their adults just aren't able to handle the fact that pennywise is real and so he ends his life and so going forward i think that we're going to see stan be definitely a liability because he is in this situation he's he's really afraid of the book the book uh pennywise is pressing his face out and he can't believe that it's happening and he's like no this can't be real and then bill forces him to stand up to it and say no this is real just just accept it and just know that we can beat him kind of
0: yeah it gives me the sense that maybe if bill had been there with him when he got the call he might have been able to handle it but with, with a, when he was out on his own with no one else to help like he just couldn't handle learning that that thing from his past was back yeah I, I i agree i think you're right you're you're right on it there so chapter 15 we get next and it's it's richie and he's back um as an adult they're all drinking in the library talking about the past and then he, they remember the smoke hole and so then we jump back again into the past and we see them all arriving at the clubhouse and we learned they're going to perform a ceremony that's a native american ceremony where you burn a bunch of green wood fill up a room with smoke and then everybody sits around it breathing it in and having visions and um and it's kind of like a contest to see who can last the longest and basically because you're not getting any air you start to hallucinate and they decide that they have to do this and they draw straws to see who's gonna be who's gonna sit out to um, keep watch, and at first they try and make Bev do it because she's a girl, but she doesn't have any of that. And so then they draw they draw or matches, not straws, and um, they they're looking for the burnt match. What they the when they draw draw them, they find that no match is burnt. So they take that as this like universal sign that they
1: all need to go into the smoke hole, and so they do. These kids have, like, the coolest fort of all time. They they dug a five-foot-by-five-foot five hole in the ground and then built a trapdoor over top of it and put sod on top. Even right now, I'm, I'm envious of how cool that is. Like, I would love to have, like, a little <laughs> fort that I could go hang out in like that. So I thought that... I just like that they... It's another situation where Ben is leading the pack and, like, kind of, like, telling them how to build it and then Bill is overseeing it. I just thought that was cool that they built that fort together. And then it became very useful when they went in to do this... this native american ritual which i thought was this is one of my favorite sections in the whole book yeah because of how how off the wall it gets and how it's just so fun it gets real weird so speaking of they light up the fire
0: a bunch of green wood and it starts building out smoke everyone's sitting around it and then we get stan goes first he's he's out of there then next it's ben then eddie um and then uh then bev like they have a little bit more time they sit around, keep breathing in the smoke. Then Bev has to go. She Basically, each person starts coughing and just has to get out of there. It becomes where it's it's Mike, Bill, and Richie. And uh, surprisingly, it's Bill next who has to go. He just can't do it, and he has to leave. And then it's left with Mike and Richie, and they're just kind of staring at each other. And they start having this like conversation where they're just talking normally, and... Richie starts to feel like his lungs adjust, and now he's breathing in smoke like it's air. The room keeps like the proportions of the room keep shifting, seems much larger than it is. They hold hands, and then they float through fog and mist, and go back to the ago, which we learned is their basically their term for long, long ago. And sure enough, they're in something from maybe a million years ago, and it's they're in the same spot in dairy. But there's no town. There's no people. There's just these like giant weird birds and fish and odd animals that they don't recognize. And then the animals start to flee. They hear a sound and a vibration, and it comes out of the sky. And Mike and Richie realize that that's what they're seeing the arrival of it a million years ago. It looks like a flaming matchhead. That's a direct quote. And they keep having this like back and forth about whether or not it was a spaceship. And then they say it was or it wasn't. And it's it's like a lightning coming out of it and it basically is crashing to the earth then they get woken up and uh ben and bill have pulled them out of the smoke hole and they're gasping for breath
1: so it is like this interdimensional space being or supposedly uh i don't know how literally we're supposed to be drawing from this but i do i think it's supposed to be like a metaphor for the fact that like like it is this like entity that isn't it's so old, it's from so long ago. Do you think this is literal? Do you think that, that this actually happened? So I think I think the thing that you could put in the column of this is literal is that
0: they both tear their genes up when they're running in the dream or in the vision. And when they come back to the present, they both have their genes torn up that weren't torn up before they had the vision. So that's like, there's some sort of manifestation of what happened. Now, does that mean it necessarily was 100% true? I don't know. But I got a feeling that like they literally were transported back in time, at least their consciousness, and they witnessed something that actually happened.
1: Well, they were definitely not there anymore, because when Ben and Bill came in to drag out Richie and Mike, they were running around the, the small little five by five, fort that they had made under the ground and they were running around and said that it was like the size of a ballroom trying to find them feeling around because it was so smoky they couldn't see them and they were like we checked everywhere and then it wasn't and then it was we heard you guys screaming but we couldn't find you physically you weren't there and then out of nowhere you grabbed my hand and i like they kind of pulled them into existence again which i i believe that they weren't there anymore i just wonder is is it really this like interdimensional space being or is it just kind of like He's been around forever. Is this King's way of being like he's been around forever? Like I don't think we're supposed to be able to process exactly what he is from the context.
0: I think I think I think both of us um, are coming at it from someone who hasn't read a ton of other King novels. I have heard that he has an overarching cosmos kind of. There's a lot of similarities between different supernatural forces and and different books and overlap. And I've heard that the Dark Sour series deals a lot with this kind of like other side and other place, but I don't know enough about it to really comment. But I think it's still valid to look at it as someone who is just reading this book on its own and how it affects us, because I think plenty of people that that could be the case. And yeah, to me, it's, it's very odd, but it seems like a combination of something that's interdimensional and also interstellar and also from another place that doesn't
1: belong here and then they talked about how when it collided with the ground it created this huge crater and then in downtown where downtown would be right so where downtown would be it created this crater so like maybe that evil spawned from there you know maybe just colliding with that area it claimed that area and forever it would be this cursed land which explains why it's in dairy Maine, of all places like that kind of an explanation
0: for the location right All right, so next up, we get chapter 16, and we get Eddie uh, in the present and his arms hurting from an old injury. It's now it's time for him to tell a story. This is the, you know, we start to learn that basically this part is going to be broken up into each adult taking a turn to tell a story. And it's like as they remember it, too. They're kind of remembering it as they tell it. And Eddie tells the story of going to Mr. King's uh, pharmacy, where he's there to pick up his medicine for his mother, and Mr. King decides he's going to take him into the back and reveal to him that the medicine he's been having is a placebo. It's kind of really creepy. It's like Mr. King is kind of get like seems really excited about placebos and how they work, and he's taking like a weird pleasure in kind of shattering this kid's worldview and letting him know that it's all in his mind which really scares Eddie because he he keeps thinking like, you know, I'm not crazy. And then, um, yeah, he, uh, he basically runs away from,
1: from Mr. Keen, um, and, and out into the road. At first I thought something really awful was going to happen here. I thought we were going to get a situation where like Eddie had been molested or something like that because he was being so creepy about it. And so weird. and I, I don't know if it it was this guy's way of getting back at Eddie's mother because he wasn't a fan of Eddie's mother and kind of like, shattering her whole world as well as eddie's but it was it was weird because he just pulled him into his, his back office which he had never done before and then started telling him that this medicine uh isn't helping anything this this whole perceived illness is all in your head
0: we haven't got there yet but there's talk about power later and how power is such is like behind everything and in the past we've talked about how these bullies want power and how tom rogan wants power over bev and I think this is a situation where the pharmacist is kind of getting off on having this power and where he's just been administering tap water to this kid and, and giving him these false cures. And so it's, it's another situation, I think, where it's all about power. And that's why I think it, it's, it strikes you as being so similar to some of these other scenes where it's more about some sort of actual physical abuse. So yeah, I think uh, I totally agree. It's like there's a real creepiness there and and it was clear that there was something off about how Mr. Keen was really delighting in in what he was doing. All right, so next up, uh, Eddie is outside and he encounters the bullies. And this is the first time we really hear about weird Patrick Hockstetter. We don't get a lot about him. We just hear that he's really weird. They chase after Eddie, who is on his own, and he runs away but eventually they catch up to him, Bowers shoves gravel into his face, and an adult comes up to break it up. And at this point, Henry's gotten so crazy that he actually shoves the adult over, which Eddie realizes is this is like really crazy moment where all of a sudden the adult realizes that Henry isn't just going to listen to him because he's got the maturity and the age on him. And uh, so the, the adult is, adult is genuinely afraid of Henry in that moment. And runs away himself, and all. And it's interesting because, like, as a writer, he's taking away this like source of rescue. Like we feel like, oh, the adults finally here to step in and rescue them and break up this these kids. But like, no, that that doesn't do it. Um, and then, sure enough, Henry yanks Eddie's arm up behind his back, far and farther and further until it breaks. They only leave because the cops show up. And uh, the bullies all run off to get away from them, essentially. We end with Eddie laughing because he realizes that the pain isn't the end of the world and that it's actually something he can bear.
1: So this is like a full circle moment for for Eddie because we're seeing him in a situation where for the first time I didn't feel like he was going to be the liability of the group. It was just that his experiences up to this point had only been kind of babied by his, by his mom. He was kind of treated as if he was fragile, a fragile person. And then not until his arm broke, did he realize that like pain isn't the thing to be afraid of. Like, it's not, it's like, you can't go around and be be scared your entire life just because you're afraid of getting hurt. And so in this moment, he kind of realizes like pain isn't the end of the world. It's just something you have to go through. And he like grew as a character right here. I also think we see Henry at his craziest because we've gotten to the point now where he'll push, a, he'll push an adult, he'll go after one of them as if it was all of them. You know, it's just Eddie. He wants to get back at the losers club because of the, the rock fight. But if he'll take anybody he can get and he was, he's willing to take it as far as like breaking someone's arm or he's I'm escalating. Sure, right. He would have gone further. Had the police not shown up. Eddie's kind of in and
0: out and he wakes up in an ambulance and he sees Pennywise driving the ambulance for a moment. But then um, he sees that it's not actually him. He has memories waking up in an emergency room with his mother there. She's screaming in histrionics. Eddie and the doctor both together ask the mother to leave. He has to like kinda of stand up to her to get her to, to to go out of the out of the hospital room. Um before we move on, like this part was just really evocative to me because I've been through a car accident where I was unconscious and woke up in a hospital. And I think uh King did a really good job of kind of conveying a lot of the confusion about it and the in and out nature where you just see these like short scenes and have all these weird dreams and all that stuff. So,
1: yeah, this was definitely something I was going to ask you about because being in this hospital setting and having, you're so in and out of it, you don't really know what's going on. You've, you've been through that, obviously. So I was just going to ask you what you thought.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, it, I really was struck by, I mean, cause it's so different than my situation because I didn't know like why I was there. Um, I just kind of woke up there after a car accident that I don't even have a memory of it happening. Um, Whereas Eddie knows why he's there. So there's not as much confusion, but I guess I was just struck with how realistic the description of it was. So King had either—I think King—he probably just got this through research research, because I don't think at this point he had had his big uh, accident. That if you've read on if you've read on writing, you know that he had later in life where he got hit by a car. But I don't think this had happened yet in 1986. So this is just something he he researched and intuited and understood and was
1: able to put on paper. So I was impressed with it. This is also a cool scene because we get Eddie standing up to his mom. So that full that character character growth is is continuing on even to his life with his mom, where she d- doesn't really approve of the people he's been hanging out with. They come to visit and he's like, um, even though Eddie's in and out of it, he he knows that his mom sent them sent them away and she kinda says you should you're not gonna see them anymore and he's like, Well then they they start to have an argument about what Eddie had just learned from the was he a pharmacist?
0: Yeah, Mr. Keene the
1: pharmacist. He starts talking to his mom about how it's fake medicine and it's not helping him. Why would it say on the packaging administer when needed if it was a life saving medicine
0: right like and he says you know even even over-the-counter stuff like tells you not to do too much of it it'll hurt you and so that's his proof that he kind of wields against her and we we learned that i i I did write down some stuff about this because i thought it was a really deftly done by king here he is showing us this woman who has smothered her kid with her love and her wanting to protect him and she is almost this like villain but he takes a moment to humanize her and he talks about how she had to survive her uh, her husband um I can't, did he leave her or did he die do you remember i think he died yeah i, th- I was going to say I, that was what my first inclination was but i couldn't remember exactly um yeah so he's she survives that has this she's a single mother with a, with a child who then gets bronchitis when he's really young and almost dies because of that and he she is able to get work and support him and so king really points out how in her own way she's actually really tough and but she's created this situation where her relationship with her son is really unhealthy because it it becomes kind of her whole source of feeling like a feeling of worth and the only way she can feel like she has any worth is for her to feel needed And so she desperately needs Eddie to want her around and for her to protect him. And she has this like nightmare scenario of him going to college and meeting a girl and then what will happen? And so Eddie is kind of able to use that against her here and um, say that he'll, he'll play along and he'll keep taking his medicine, basically allowing her to have this connection to him as long as she will allow his friends to come visit. And so he's able to kind of do this negotiation with her. But yeah, just in general, I thought it was definitely done because it would have been easy for King to paint her as this like really reprehensible character. But instead he finds, he finds like some true humanity there.
1: So when Eddie was talking to his mom, I was really interested to see how she was willing to, to let him hang out with his friends just because he would fake the fact that he was still using his medicine just so that she could have some semblance of control. And the fact that, like, as a as a grown adult, and your your son tells you that they're gonna fake something, just for your peace of mind, you should that should kind of be a red flag to you that, like, yeah, there's something going on. But she's kind of she kind of understands it and goes along with it anyway, right? Right, for her own peace of mind because she she needs that kind of control, and that's like her that's her normal is like her being able to be overbearing over her son and make sure that he's not getting hurt in any way. So as long as he's faking it, it's, it's she's at peace. So next up we
0: get the scene where the Losers Club come to visit Eddie in the hospital, which you predicted in a previous episode. And uh, they all gather around, and um, they decide they're going to sign his cask. And they cast, and they tell him about their plan to shoot it and with the silver uh, ball bearings they're going to make. At the house on Neibolt Street, and there was a line here that I just wanted to to quote verbatim. Um, another thing we're just as a writer, I found really, really beautiful. So King, when he's describing the 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 storm that is, like basically, laying over top the city, notices that it has changed the light in the hospital room, and he says, the yellow storm light lay on their skins, making their faces seem distant ghost-like shadowy and that's just one sentence but like it's it's a it's a, another sign of me for me of just how evocative king's prose can be and how i think that when you take evocative prose and you combine it with brilliant characterizations and really interesting plots like this is why king is so good this is why he's so popular and why he's a like a billionaire basically off of his writing in every single scene, there's so much attention to detail. All right, so next up we get chapter 17, and we get to Beverly, Beverly's section, which, oh boy, this will be interesting to talk about. Um, she remembers being a child and going to the dump to do some uh, test test shots with her, uh, her uh, what's it called, slingshot. Um, and, uh, when she's there, she encounters the bullies. They are taking turns lighting each other's farts (laughs) and they're all standing around basically with their pants off. And, uh, she hides in a car realizing that like, oh shit, if they saw her, they were going to kill her. And she's like super embarrassed by the whole thing because she can see like all their, uh, all their bits and pieces. All their
1: cash and prizes. I don't know what you're gonna say. <laughs> Genitals. The genital yeah. region. It was Gen- the, the whole genital region, their uh their zones. Bev gets into the situation where she's just like happens across these kids who are like I get letting your farts on fire, it's super funny, you're a kid, it's I get it. But why are their pants around their ankles? I don't understand. That's a good question. I am assuming just so that it would uh give it like
0: maximum distance they could get the flames okay so it seems to be like they're like trying to get like the biggest flames possible (laughs) anyway um victor and belch leave and they leave patrick patrick and henry are all that's left and in a really disturbing moment um well i don't know if i want to call it disturbing
1: i think it is disturbing in the fact that they're so young they're just yeah it's like a kind of a young situation to be doing this in
0: yeah, they, there's, and so there's like a mutual masturbation thing goes on between Patrick and Henry, and she sees this. And like, yeah, like we've talked about in the past, this is um, another sign of like the secret life of kids and them not understanding their bodies and like why they feel certain ways. But then it's also combined with Patrick, who's this really creepy dude that we're about to get into his backstory where we learn that he's all fucked up in all kinds of ways. And Henry's already this bully that we know is fucked up. So it's these two really fucked up kids. And, of course, Henry kind of, once he snaps out of it, realizes that what's going on and, like, punches Patrick, threatens him not to tell anyone that um, what they did. And then uh, he threatens, he says, I'm going to tell everybody about your refrigerator if you do. And then Henry leaves... And Patrick is left just sitting in the in the dump and Bev is still hiding, kinda waiting to see what happens next.
1: This was also interesting from Bev's point of view because this is she talks about how this is her first encounter with this kind of thing and she keeps thinking of it in terms of of Bill, one of the other characters. So it it's just like it's like all of these characters are so young that they don't understand their body, like you're saying. They're all prepubescent or going into puberty and it's just it's just It's like confusing feelings, confusing,
0: you know, physical urges. And and yeah, it's all something it's something we all have to deal with growing up. So it's it's King really, I think, talking about things that are so taboo. It's like we're having trouble talking about it right now. And I think that's because King knows that this stuff's really taboo. And
1: for this book, he wanted to get to that stuff and really get to the heart of it. Because like you say, the the secret life of kids, like a lot of people go through something like this. A lot of people have, it'll be like formative for them or it'll be like some sort of like scarring time in their life. And it's just one of those things that like, as if you're like, if you're an adult and you're like looking to a kid, you're not going to think that these are the kinds of things that are going on when they're hanging out with their friends. Yeah.
0: And, like, it, it, in a different situation, maybe it's not as, like, off-putting, but the way he he does it here between these two reprehensible boys, um, it really is, like, this disquieting moment. And so then we learn about Patrick's backstory, and this... Okay, I also wanted to say this part and the description of Patrick is scarier to me probably than any description of Pennywise up to this point. And... I'll, 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 let me get into the description here. So basically, he's like a sociopath, psychopath. He We learned that he doesn't think anybody else is real, that he's the only real person. And because of this, he has no qualms about commit, like causing pain or killing things. We learned that he murdered his baby brother when he was five years old, smothering it in his crib, basically because he was worried about Um, That his brother might also be real, and he didn't want his parents to throw him out because they favored the the new child, and he basically murders an infant, which we get in this really brutal scene, and then he goes downstairs and he just watches TV, and there's like all the drama of them finding the the dead child goes on behind him, and no one ever catches on. Only the father seems to like have a moment where he realizes what might have happened. But we learned that he never confronts Patrick about it. And uh, so Patrick doesn't feel any remorse. And after that day, he learns basically about how much he likes killing things and how much he likes watching them die. And then we get uh, the description of what's going on with this refrigerator, which is he's catching like local dogs and cats and strays and basically... Trapping them inside the uh, the refrigerator, and then like over the series of days, basically coming in every now and then, checking on them, and like watching them slowly die. And so he's this just like really psychotic, creepy kid who keeps a like a like a pencil case full of dead flies and murders, you know, uh, animals. And like we talked out talked about before, as a huge dog lover, it's this is really sickening to me. And um, yeah this guy this guy really scares me in a way that it doesn't and it's because I think for me I know that there are people like this and that makes it scarier than any monster
1: like you say this character is so he's like almost pure evil he is pure evil he is a sociopath he's a psychopath he's murdering these animals he's much crazier than Henry he's about as crazy as Pennywise he's right there with Pennywise but at the end of the day pennywise is this this entity or being and this is just a normal person doing these evil things it's in spirit
0: because you talk about him like you say he's pure evil but he's also a normal person and i think that's the frightening thing like those two things together like yeah he's pure evil but he's also a person and he's also and whereas pennywise isn't he's this otherworldly force um he is like this apotheosis of all monsters whereas this is like what ted bundy might have been like as a kid you know or Charles Manson, or whatever serial killer you want to talk about. Like, this guy seemed like he was on a path to where, as an adult, I could totally see him being a serial
1: killer. It's just crazy to think there are actually people like this out there.
0: Yeah, and, and I've actually heard this exact description for a psychopath, soci- sociopath. Now, I think we've maybe figured out different terminology these days, but, um, yeah, essentially the idea that they don't feel empathy, and that they often think that they're only real person, and so they don't see their victims as actual people... Like, that's actually a really true thing from what I've read about those uh, disorders. So yeah, next we, get up, next we get what happens to Patrick, which is he opens up the refrigerator to clean it out because he's worried about Henry Bauer's um, kind of letting on his secret. Now, he's worried about it because he knows there are rules, and he's learned that you have to follow the rules in society or you get in trouble. Not because he's worried about his secret being out for any other reason. Basically, he just knows he, there are rules and you can't break them. But yeah, he, op- he opens up the um, the refrigerator and it's full of leeches, flying leeches, which we learned that he uh, had an experience where he had swam in the past and had some leeches on him. And so it's like the one thing he's really terrified of. And they fly out and these things are like really nasty, really nasty creatures because they suck like huge amounts of blood out of you. we, <laughs> we get a really gross description of uh, one landing on his eyeball and basically sucking all the fluid out of it. Um, it's a really brutal death where he just kind of gets swarmed by these crazy leech flying whatever creatures. And then he lands on the ground and he sees Pennywise come out of the like the nearby area, like foliage or dump area, and he sees that its face is running. Like it's formless. And I don't know about you, but I thought... I wonder if that's because he isn't, like, really afraid of anything for it to take the form of. So it kind of comes out, grabs him, and drags him back to its lair, and we learn later that he wakes up as it's feeding on him.
1: Yeah, he's like... A, he Pennywise shows up, and he's kind of wax-like. And he's kind of like... Like you're saying, like he was, like, melting. And I think that's definitely, like... Pennywise couldn't get a... Re- Other than leeches, he couldn't get a read on how what this kid feared, what he could become this kid feared. And maybe it was one of those things where... The leeches. He wanted another thing, something scarier yeah. than the leeches, and he co- he couldn't find it. And then he just dragged him away. And uh, something I wanted to say about this is that, like, I think that Pennywise killed this kid in such a brutal way, and he killed him when he did because he just sees this kid as stealing his fun. Like Pennywise, this is Pennywise. It's Pennywise's job to go around and be this evil, and kill all these people. And and I think that he kind of kills him as a. Like I think he I think Pennywise kind of just kills him because he doesn't want the competition in the area
0: interesting i mean I can see that i I guess i um I, I read it a different way, I don't know that either one is right or wrong, but um I read it more as like he's an equal opportunity killer of kids, and this was a kid who was by himself and he he just saw his opportunity to kill him, and when he couldn't turn into anything. I don't know it was like interesting because he also said like hello and goodbye to him at the same time like he this was almost someone who wasn't on his radar before and maybe he just saw this as like a like like an opportunity to to feed on him Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean maybe the other thing too i I don't know uh next up we get the losers and except eddie come to the dump after bev tells them what happened and they open up the refrigerator and a bunch of orange pom-poms spill out and a message is written that says stop now before i kill you all a word to the wise from Pennywise. Which I, I like the little rhyme there at the end. Um, it's kind of creepily playful. Um, and then uh, then we launch into
1: chapter 18. Anything you want to say about that part? I think uh, they talk about how scary, how scary this moment was for the kids. They see this moment as like solidifying the fact that like they're going after him. Like Bill like kind of freaks out and he's like kicking the pom-poms and he's like show yourself we're coming for you we're going to kill you and uh some of the other kids are scared but they see bills kind of drive and like how this mu- how much this means to him and they know that this is their their there's no turning back at this point like this is their point of no return the last thing that i liked about this chapter is that uh king breaks up his chapters into parts and i just like that part 12 literally all that part 12 was nothing much happened the next few weeks
0: Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah.
1: I I thought that was great. Like, I I, I just thought, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It actually made me laugh. Like, I was like, oh, they just dealt with this crazy situation, and this kid was just eaten alive by leeches and pulled away, and then nothing much happened for a couple weeks. (laughs) Um,
0: Okay, so we get to chapter 18 next, which is uh, Richie telling Ben that it's his turn to tell a story, or to tell a memory. And Ben shows a scar on his belly, a new scar that has appeared recently next to the H and they talk about making slugs at Bill's house and then we get transported back to 1958 the Losers Club are gathering the supplies they're going to need they get a cast for a ball bearing I think that's what it is and uh, then they go down into the basement uh, use a blowtorch to melt a silver dollar into a makeshift crucible then they basically funnel it into the mold and it sets and they make two slugs, and uh, then Bill's mother comes home and kind of talks, you know, asks them about playing Monopoly, which is what their cover story was—they that they were playing Monopoly—and uh, they all make a joke about Stan being Jewish, and they all laugh, and she's kind of horrified because she knows it's like a racist thing to say, but um, their like unity and the, the the power of their group is like something that like just, like kind of makes her step back, and she's really shocked by it.
1: I like that everybody realizes. Uh, basically, everywhere they go, everybody realizes is like this group is special. Even the group themselves, they they know that like they were they were here for a reason. They're seven for a reason. I, I just think it's cool that there's always this like kind of. It's almost like this fate that's gone on throughout the whole story for these kids. Next
0: up, we get them all going to the house on Neatball Street. This is like the the kind of the big cap off to this whole part. And that's their confrontation with it at, uh, at this house. So they go there. Bev's the designated shooter. She's got the slugs, uh, and she's got the slingshot. And they go in under the porch. Um, don't see it in the basement, basically, and decide to go up into the house proper. And when they get up there, there's like another weird moment where all the proportions start to be shifting again. And it's like a fun house mirror. He makes a, um, one of them makes a observation. And even at one point, Bill, you know, it's like screaming that it's not real. And he jumps up in the air and punches the roof, which at that point had looked like it stretched away from them. And in him punching it, it all kind of comes back into place. And he proves that it's basically an illusion. And so they all like are at risk of kind of breaking out of fear and running. But um, Bill kind of keeps them all together. They go down the uh, hallway looking into different rooms. And eventually they wind up at the bathroom.
1: Bill is, is he's like the, he's like the template for a good leader. He just keeps the, even when he's scared, even when he's in a situation where he feels like he's going to lose it, he does something that I don't know if he even realizes how important it is at the time. Like jumping up to punch the ceiling, like it could have not worked. Like it could have just gone on forever and he could have touched nothing and it could have actually been stretching. But he jumped up, punched the ceiling and it worked out and it just showed that like he's got this, He's got that instinct and then he's got that leader instinct where he's like, look, guys. And he's been saying it all along, like either don't believe in it or don't be tricked by it. Kind of keep a level head.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, and so Bill leads them essentially into this bathroom and they get in there and they see that the toilet has exploded and uh, they intuit that basically that's where it came from before last time they were at the house. And that's there, it's it, the pipes from the sewer leading up to the house is like how it gets there. And as they're looking, they can, like, sense it coming. And it basically bursts from the pipes in this, like, silvery-orange shifting shape with no form. And then I think it's Richie yells something about It's the werewolf. And when he says that, it coalesces into the teenage werewolf from before. And uh, Bev shoots once but misses. Um, The, you know, the werewolf starts, like, kind of lunging at everybody. Really, it gets a hold of Ben, slashes him open, throws him in a tub. And then Bev uh, calmly sights it again, this time firing and hitting it in the snout, and it creates this huge gout of blood. But now she's out of ammo. But then there's this moment where Bill starts yelling at it that they're going to kill it, and that she, like telling Bev to like shoot again, shoot again, shoot again. And he they he believes it so much that it believes it, and because of that he they scare off they scare off the werewolf. It jumps back into the drain pipe and shoots below town.
1: Pennywise not realizing that there wasn't a bullet in the in the slingshot kind of makes me think that whatever these kids believe is kind of what it knows. So what, if they believe that they're scared of something, then he can read their mind. Like, I, I feel like there's certain... Because we've talked about before how he can read minds. He can read their minds. Now we're in a situation where obviously he didn't read their mind because there was no there was no slug in the slingshot. There was nothing left. And he decided to leave. I don't know if... I, I The way I read it is that he didn't want to get hit again by another silver slug so he left yeah
0: like it was a, a real danger to him and he was convinced
1: yeah just the power of their imagination or the fact that they believed that was uh enough to scare him off
0: yeah and i think it shows that you know a lot of his power is based off of people believing in the things he's showing them and conversely if people believe in the thing they're going to use against him that also lends it a power and um, that leads right into this next section where we get Ben talking about, first off, how he notices that Bill and Bev seem to have, like, an attraction for one another. Um, which seems like it bums him out, but, like, he still feels like like he's still in love with Bev. Um, but he starts thinking about power, and he starts thinking about how, because they believed in the slugs, that gave them power. And how, because they chose the form of the werewolf, which that form has a weakness to silver, that also gave it power. Um, And then he kind of thinks like he really this is something that they really need to understand further when it comes time to to face it.
1: This is what I was addressing when we were talking about that feedback that we had gotten where silver is like seen as like this powerful thing. I think it's just that the kids are giving it this power and it's so their their belief in it is so powerful that it just it makes it powerful. So. There was no slug in the slingshot, but because they all believed in it. And at first, I I believe there was like Ben had been slashed open and he was in the bathtub and he was like kind of remembering that there weren't any slugs left. And then he realized that the whole group as a whole was saying, shoot it, shoot it, kill it, because we were they were all believing that there was another shot to take. So then Ben bought into it and was like, shoot it, shoot it, even though he knew. And that was enough. All seven of them together was enough to scare him off and make him actually believe there was another shot coming.
0: And we do get this thought as adults where um, I think it's been realizing that when you're a child, you have faith in things and maybe you're more, more ready to believe in things that aren't real and lend them power. And he thinks about how now that they're adults, they actually might be at a huge disadvantage because it's a lot harder for adults to believe in things like that, to believe in Santa Claus and, 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 and things like that. And so now it might even be harder for them.
1: I just think going forward, they're going to have to be as childlike as possible in order to defeat it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I it, it really turns it on its head, right? Like, I think initially we feel like, wow, as adults, they're going to, like, be able to handle this better because, you know, they're equipped and they're mature and they're smarter. And if they were able to do it as children, they should be able to do it as adults. But this kind of turns it on its head. Like, there's a power to their innocence that they used initially that they no longer have. And then yeah, they're down a man as well. All right, so that's uh, the end of that, and then we get into the fourth interlude, the last chunk here, for this part, um, and it's Mike, and he's drunk in the library. Um, this is at a different time, not when he's with with the group. This is before he called them, and it's to him kind of doing research again and transcribing his research, and he thinks about a lot of the history of the town in the early 1900s and how it rose up from the woods. Um, under these lumber barons. And then we get a description of the mass murder at the Silver Dollar. Correct me if I get any of these details wrong, but basically Hero is there. I think his name's Hero. He shows up with his axe and just starts chopping into these guys. Now, the this, this suspicion is that these guys were, were responsible for murdering some of his friends at one point, um, who were also in the Union. But the really weird thing is that he is like bloody axe murdering these guys at the table when they're playing poker and everybody else in the bar just like continues drinking and like having normal conversations and kind of not noticing what's going on and really brutal description like he chops off a guy's head he chops off another guy's hand he he's like starts chopping apart one's body once he's already dead like it's like kindling really just brutal description of an axe murder and uh one guy escapes by like crawling out through the bottom of the, um, of the outhouse. And, um, but otherwise he kills like every one of this group. And then he goes back inside and he sits down and basically sits there in a stupor until the cops show up and arrest him. And then they take him to the jailhouse. And while he's there, a mob shows up um, and they lynch him. And then the, this part ends with Mike asking the, asking the old man who's telling him this story, if he remembers seeing a clown And he does. Uh, He says that he does remember seeing a clown there, especially during the kind of the rabble rising for the mob that went to to went to lynch him. And uh, Mike kind of decides that this is the major thing that started the cycle back in 1905.
1: So these, these guys were trying to unionize, and the these people killed them for trying to unionize back in the early 1900s and so this guy wants to get revenge and then i think pennywise probably just pushes him over the edge to where he's you know just he goes on an axe murdering rampage whereas before he probably would have just maybe fought them or something so he kills all these guys and the but the part that's interesting is everybody in the bar nobody's reacting like like there's a guy who sits at the the, like a head rolls close to this guy who's sitting at the bar and he just kind of kicks it away without even realizing what it is Without even caring to look because i think pennywise has this power over adults and and people in dairy where it's like it's part of being a, a glamour i guess because he's able to make them i don't know maybe they feel like it's less severe than it actually is when somebody's being ax murdered
0: it's like it's pennywise's influence seems to be pervasive in this town and it can like turn it can really turn it on at certain areas and and make things just go worse than they were gonna go originally I think, and that that explains a lot of what's been going on if he has this power, or it has this power. Yeah, I, I guess um, now that we're at the end of this part, that's the end of part four here. Um, I want to get now that we're heading it, Briscoe will be heading into the final section of this book. I'd like to hear some predictions, and then. Uh, you know, we'll see if any of them come true. What do you What do you think is going to happen in this in this final section here? As we see both, well, I mean, you I, you can probably intuit we're going to see both the children and the adults coming coming head to head with Pennywise again.
1: Yeah, when I found out that this book was going to be. Partially adults coming back to dairy and then partially the kids dealing with them in the first place I had this feeling that we were leading up to this where it was going to be The connection of the things that are happening as adults is going to meet the things that are happening Like the themes and the ideas I didn't think it was going to be this literal that they were going to fight It as as kids and as adults and it was just going to be like interplayed between the two you called it man episode one yeah I, I i tried not
0: to react too much but i was pretty impressed yeah you totally called like the structure of this book as was exactly as you thought it was going to be yeah
1: i'm i i was i didn't think that it would necessarily be them fighting it at the same time but they it's definitely i like that it's happening this way i think this is this is such a cool way to read the story predictions we're going to get the the six or seven people in a circle they're going to do some sort of hand cutting um the, they talked about the glass using the glass to cut their hand and that's obviously the scar that showed up eventually on on uh bill's hand when he was talking to his wife before he left for dairy so i think that something has and these scars keep popping up that weren't there before like the one with ben with the scar across his across his belly i just think that these these scars mean something they, they're saying like They're popping up because they're remembering more and they're remembering more. And once it gets to the point where they remember everything, they're going to do the ritual. Um, The turtle or Chud, the ritual has to do with something because he keeps showing up. Uh, A moment where I believe Chud had an influence that we didn't mention was uh, in the Barrens. Or sorry, not in the Barrens, in the junkyard area. When that kid was getting attacked by the leeches, Bev shoots a couple of the leeches out of the air. And then the...
0: It arcs it arcs the bullets,
1: right? Exactly. So she shoots it and it's way off course. And then some sort of force pushes it and it curves the, the, the shot and it kills one of them exploding it. And so I just think that's another... It's just showing this force is going to... I don't know if they're going to come face to face with it or if they're going to realize it's something they can harness or anything like that. I think it's more just going to be like helping them in the end. Like, like Penny... They're going to come face to face with Pennywise and they're going to need to do this ritual in order to get the power of chud as much as they can before they come up against him other predictions do you think we're going to get a riddle and joke telling i do yeah i do i think we'll get something like that i just think and honestly if we're if we're as far the the clues leading up to this are that richie's had the most effect on him because of the jokes because of the things that he does so i feel like if there's going to be a joke joke off or anything like that and he has to try to make pennywise laugh it's going to be richie because he's the funny one Oh, I think we might see I th- I don't think all the Losers Club as adults are going to make it out alive. Okay? Yeah. Any uh
0: any picks for if you th- who you think might die?
1: I don't know. I would be devastated if Ben died. I will say that. I think that Ben Ben has a shot of dying cuz it's just like he's Do you feel like any of them could die? Is there anyone you feel like is safe? I don't think Bill will die. I think Bill will make it. Um I think Bev is pretty safe. I don't they could Eddie could die. I, I could see Eddie dying, but I think that Ben would be the if the, if somebody's going to die, I think it's going to be Ben, but I just I hope not. Who else? Uh, oh, Mike. I think Mike Michael's probably make it. I think Michael'll make it.
0: Okay. I won't talk about that for fear of giving any spoilers. So, um I did want to mention we got a little bit more we got a little bit of more feedback um Someone I know in real life, Chris, uh, sent, sent us a really nice message on Facebook saying that he was starting over the book, uh, starting the book It, and he was going to listen to the early episodes and kind of read along. And, um, yeah, I'm just happy that people are, are finding us and, and engaging with the material and enjoying it. So if you have anything like any messages
1: like that you want to send in, we're happy to read them. I think what we're going for here is we're looking to do a sort of like anthology thing where even if you don't catch it as we're releasing it we're hoping that people will will be able to go back and and as they read it or watch the movie they can they can hear us talk about it so i think it's cool i i if if you're not quite caught up with us right now or in the future if you're not caught up with us just know that it's always going to be there and so if you're interested in reading a book and then hearing what we have to say about it go for it or maybe if you if you're not interested in reading the book and you want to see the movie and just hear what we have we'll have a movie episode and. I think the full experience of what we're trying to do here is is if you read the book and then see the movie, we're going to be along with it with you the whole way. So yeah, don't
0: feel like you you have to like listen to these as they are released. I mean that helps us for you know, but as we continue to build a back catalog, exactly, I want people to be able to go back and, and say, oh, now I'm I'm finally reading it or I'm finally reading whatever, and I'm going to go back and, and kind of experience it, and uh, hopefully that this will be uh, this kind of like ongoing on demand um, content that they can access as they need. Oh, and if you enjoy it, um, we forgot to mention last time, but, um, reviews on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Google play, whatever, whatever you use to listen, um, leaving reviews is a really helpful way to show us some love and to help, uh, grow our podcast so that we can continue to do this and hopefully, um, you know, build our brand and build our, our podcast into having a, a even larger following
1: yeah absolutely and make sure that you're subscribing as well so that you get all of our episodes as they come out also if you want to connect with us like leave us feedback or just say anything to us we're on we're on twitter at inktofilm on facebook as well inktofilm you can come and like our page um, also
0: on instagram now inktofilm on there
1: also we have our website inktofilm.com
0: um you can go there and that'll that'll like take you to any other pathway that we have we have up um, in all of our social media accounts, so that's a really good kind of hub to use to to find us.
1: We're in the, we're in the end game now, guys. One more, this is it. One more episode in the book, and then we have our film.
0: And I think this next episode is going to be a doozy. I think there's going to be uh, going to be a lot to talk about. So I'm really excited for it. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you will all come and join us. Oh, we want to thank Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music uh anything else
1: thank you guys for listening
0: yeah thanks a lot all right uh, we will see you next time for part five. Oh, i did want to say uh i mentioned last time that we are going to announce our new project um i think we're actually going to announce it in the next episode so i apologize for if you were excited to hear what the next project is going to be it will be we'll announce it soon we just want to wait until we finish this book before we announce the next one but episode five comes out we'll we'll make a big announcement I think, uh, I hope you guys will be excited about
1: it. I know I am. It's a good one, guys. I'm, I am mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm a big fan. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. Bye, guys.
0: Thanks.